This episode is brought to you in part by Thomas Nelson, publisher of The Overcomers, God's Vision for You to Thrive in an Age of Anxiety and Outrage, written and narrated by pastor and best-selling author Matt Chandler, and is available everywhere audiobooks are sold. I was certainly raised this way. We kind of didn't really talk much about politics at all. Mm. It was sort of assumed it's a good I think, idea to vote as a Christian, but we really didn't talk much about how to think about politics, how to engage in politics. And so we weren't really taught that politics involves compromise and patience and multiple issues that are overlapping and often conflicting. And I think there's some what I would call noble reasons why we sometimes say little. And then also, let's be honest, there's some ignoble ones that I wish we would rethink. This is Matt Woodley with a special edition episode of Monday Morning Preacher from PreachingToday.com. We all know what happened in our capital, January 6th, 2021, the day of epiphany in liturgical church traditions, and a certainly will go down as one of the most infamous days in American history. There's so much about this that we cannot control, but there are things that as preachers we need to be aware of and we need to be awake to and we may need to change in light of what happened on january 6th i'm here with my guest host kevin miller kevin it's great to have you here with us always good to be with you matt so kevin this is a last minute change in uh, the topic we were going to talk about and uh, this is something that you are really passionate about and in particular, what we want to focus on is how can we help our people through our preaching to disciple our people in Christian citizenship and political engagement, right? Is that the topic? Wow, that was brilliant. <laughs> Thank you. I, I'm not as erudite as you. And so I was just like, after the riots, what can we learn? <laughs> <laughs> what the heck happened and what are yeah. we supposed to do about it? <laughs> Yeah, well, you know, we're nine days out now. Um, I think that'll be an important time marker because the situation is very fluid politically right now. But there's a few things that we're learning in this week since the riots. One is they were far more dangerous than we might have first understood had the rioters really gotten a hold of Vice President Mike Pence as they certainly wanted to and used those zip ties and uh, weapons. We might have been plunged into a civil war. I don't think that's too apocalyptic. So it was more dangerous. But here's the point for today's podcast. And this is going to be hard for us to accept. It certainly has been for me this week is it was a more Christian fueled event than I believe we first understood. I mean, let's get clear about this, that an attempted violent overthrow of an election in our country was largely participated in by people carrying Christian symbols. Now, I know some people have made an attempt to say, well, they weren't really Christians or even MAGA people. But anyway, let's just be clear. Seen at the Capitol was a giant wooden cross outside. This was on the same grounds as a giant wooden gallows. There were lots of men and women holding signs saying, Jesus saves. You probably saw the photo of the guy holding that giant flag, make America godly again. In his other hand, he's got a, a, a flag depicting uh, Donald Trump in a sleeveless military vest like Rambo firing an automatic weapon. 
a man carried a Christian flag into the hastily evacuated legislative chamber. So as your uh, bishop and my friend also Stuart Ruck has said, you know, we are people who treasure sacred symbols. So yes. we have to decry this, this combination of holy and unholy symbols that were employed. And um, so many commentators now are saying there's kind of a day of reckoning for the white evangelical church. What will this movement be? And, and I'm white and I'm gloriously committed to the evangel, as I know you are. And so I just have to say, as a white evangelical preacher, I want to have a conversation with white evangelical preachers. What can we work on so we reduce the likelihood of white evangelical Christians participating in what was uh, nationalist, racist, and... Yeah, absolutely. I am so glad we're bringing this up. Let me tell our listeners... Whenever people talk about this from whenever I you know talk about it from the pulpit, people automatically assume they might automatically assume two things. I'm lumping all Trump supporters together that all Trump supporters thought this was a great idea. And on the other hand, people think, oh, so now you're totally for everything that the Biden administration is going to be for. It's like that's not what we're saying. But this issue is a real issue and we got to grapple with this. Because there's been a failure of discipleship, and our preaching may be able to help rectify some of this. Is that yeah. fair, what we're saying? I think that's exactly what we're saying, and I couldn't have said it better. Um, well, it's twice now. <laughs> you know, first, and even before we jump in, can, can we just honor the many evangelical leaders who really have been trying to warn uh, about how Christianity might get uh, kind of co-opted? Um, for political purpose. And Mark Laberton and Beth Moore and others have been saying really for, for many months, maybe even several years, that we needed to mature in our, our thinking as, as believers. But anyway, let's jump in. I've, I've got four ideas let's I want to talk about. And Matt, you join me and jump in wherever you can. Tell us number one. The first thing is, I think in many white evangelical churches, I was certainly raised this way, we kind of didn't really talk much about politics at all. It was sort of assumed it's a good I think, idea to vote as a Christian, but we really didn't talk much about how to think about politics, how to engage in politics. And so we weren't really taught that politics involves compromise and patience and multiple issues that are overlapping and often conflicting. And I think there's some what I would call noble reasons why we sometimes say little. And then also, let's be honest, there's some ignoble ones that I wish we would rethink. So here's the noble reasons. One is just as, you know, the evangelism desire, right? So a lot of churches, especially coming out of the seeker movement, have said, you know, hey, we don't want to upset people or unnecessarily drive them away. We want them to be able to hear the gospel and meet Jesus Christ. And, and so we're going to dial down anything related to politics as much as we can. So the challenge with that is right now, because there hasn't been enough discipleship around politics, now our witness is even harder in this country. There are many people saying, white evangelical is merely a political block and a potentially violent one, which is not the witness we want. Yeah. So anyway, second noble desire is a pastoral desire. I mean, you're like me, Matt, you're a working pastor and I know my people and I, I kind of know where many of them come down on political matters because they talk to me and I, I love them. I don't want to unnecessarily uh, offend any. So uh, sometimes in a desire to be 
quote pastoral, I kind of hold back on venturing into areas where my people need some help to think. And then last, I'll say this is a, a I wouldn't it's too strong to say it's ignoble, but I think it's an area where I would disagree. In many churches, there's a sense that the gospel is so powerful, it's the it's good news unto salvation, which it is, that if we just preach the gospel, everything else will take care of itself. Mm. But I notice that in churches like uh, and preachers where that's a strong belief, and I do believe in preaching the gospel, that we don't treat marriage and family life that way. We still try right. to help people with those relationships and how you live those out. We don't treat workplace issues that way. We still talk about how to live with integrity as a Christian in the workplace. So what we're doing is we're just sort of siphoning off politics as the one area we won't go near. And we'll, we hope the gospel will work itself out for people. Well, the problem with that is we're staying quiet, but the people on Parler are not staying quiet. The people on some of these websites are not staying quiet. And our people are getting caught up in the, the fervor there. Yeah, that's really good, Kevin. I mean, politics is not everything, um, as some people in our culture are making it out to be, but it's definitely something. And uh, I love what the authors of the book, the InterVarsity Press book, Compassion and Conviction, uh, great book to read, Compassion and Conviction. They say that, you know, politics is, in our political engagement as Christians is one way that we can do good, which the New Testament constantly talks about, promote justice and human flourishing. So it's just one way. So I, I would encourage you to pick up that book. Great book. Kevin, number two, principle number two here for discipling our people in political engagement and citizenship. Well, one of the things that a lot of commentators right now are writing about, including conservative writer David French, is what is it that led a Christian movement to go at least some within it. And let's, yeah, I agree, Matt, many MAGA supporters decry the violence intensely and, and would be completely uh, appalled by it. But underneath the beliefs that the election was stolen, which it's fair to say there's exceedingly little evidence of, I think there were 61 lawsuits or motions brought by the administration trying to demonstrate that and 60 of them failed including with Republican judges. So, you know, the case was made, the case was heard, it, was, it just didn't go that way. But anyway, let's get to my point. What underlay that urgency around that was this belief in the Christian community. It was a fear around religious freedom and some other things, but it was like, oh my gosh, if our guy doesn't win, and he's not perfect, but if our guy doesn't win yeah. and the liberals do, we're going to be like hunted down by the liberal elites and we're not going to be able to practice our faith. And that would be the worst thing in the world. And it, so we must fight like there's no tomorrow. So that was the fear. Now, some of that was actually based on some legitimate concerns about religious liberty in our country. And, and so that has to be addressed. But honestly, for much of church history in many places in the world, Christians have learned how to live and live out their faith even under political pressure and reduced freedom. Matt, I know you've studied the early church yeah. a lot about this. Yeah, well, I think there is something to sort of some of this um, concern about Oh yeah, big tech could do what the uh, elites in our media and government and everything. I, I think there could be some hard times for Christians and, and that concerns me. But on the other hand, you look at the early church, Kevin, and what a story. Oh my gosh. 
it is it is one of the best underdog stories of all time. So basically, around the time the New Testament is written, they estimate there were maybe 5,000 believers, you know? Wow. No, no political clout, no Christian schools, no publishing houses. Consistently no podcasts. No podcasts. <laughs> Could you imagine that? No. Don't you think, um, you know, the church fathers, maybe Origen, Augustine, they should have had podcasts? <laughs> totally. But they thrived. They were maligned. Uh, talk about mainstream media. Mainstream media hated them, thought they were oh, yeah. stupid, idiots, um, dangerous. And yet they grew and they thrived. And and why was that? I've been studying that. And, you know, just a couple of things. They, they really believe Jesus is Lord. You know, that was their creed. And they lived by that. They lived under his lordship. They practiced a radical love and compassion towards those who were most vulnerable in society. And they had this bizarre sexual ethic, you know, that sex is between a man and woman who are committed in lifelong monogamy and among other things, you know, but those were right. some of them. And they just stayed true to who they were. They weren't trying to be relevant. They didn't have political power. And yet they grew. We might be in the same place someday. Well, see, that kind of preaching like you just did to me <laughs> helps lower this sense of cosmic urgency about this particular election. Yeah. Um, so the gloom and doom. And then we can work for greater religious freedom where it's being impinged. Um, I agree. I agree. Yeah, something right. worth fighting for, not just for us, but for other people of other faiths as well, you know? Oh, yeah, but, absolutely. Uh, so, Kevin, number three. <laughs> All right. Number three is um, there is a fairly common practice of reading current political leaders into the Bible. Mm. And let's let me just say, by the way, I was discipled a lot in the charismatic church uh, growing up. And one of the things I love about charismatic and Pentecostal preaching is that they use the Old Testament very richly and they'll use the symbols and the stories of the Old Testament to help speak to the current situation. And so you'll you'll hear sermons on like the Joshua generation and how God is raising up a yeah. new set of leaders for this moment and stuff like that. And it's very inspiring. I actually love it. But what that does and that practice has done is leave preachers free to read current political leaders into the Bible in often Old Testament roles, but not exclusively. Let me give you three examples. One was very early on, Trump was dubbed by many to be Cyrus. Cyrus, you may remember, is the ancient Persian king, certainly no follower of Yahweh, but God used him to restore the people of God to their homeland. And, and so, uh, you know, Trump was dubbed sort of, well, yeah, he's not really much of a Christian, but he's being used by God. So then he also became Jehu. I mean, this is, I'll just quote directly from a Christian site that said, the man who defeated Hillary Clinton, who was the Jezebel figure of being a pioneer feminist who stood against godly values, unquote. Huh. So, so then you, you know, Jehu was violent. And, <laughs> and so this guy may need to be too. Yesterday, I read a major evangelical leader who posted on Facebook this comment about the uh, Republicans in the House who joined in voting for impeachment quote, makes you wonder what the 30 pieces of silver were that Speaker Pelosi promised for this betrayal. Uh, wow. Now, when we use language like that, let's just think about what just happened there. Nancy Pelosi suddenly became the Sanhedrin. The Republican congressional reps who voted for impeachment became Judas. And of course, Trump then becomes, in this analogy, Jesus Christ. Well, this is why, this kind of exegesis is why uh, one of the protesters at the rally outside the Capitol was quoted as saying, Donald Trump is in the Bible. 
Now, let, let me just, I think we need to teach our people. You want to know where Joe Biden is in the Bible? You want to know where Donald Trump is in the Bible? You want to know whoever the president after Joe Biden is in the Bible? Isaiah 40, to whom then will you compare God? He brings princes to naught and reduces the rulers of this world to nothing. Wow, yeah. <laughs> they are nothing before the greatness of God. And so we need to like humble our rhetoric, take a breath. <laughs> and because when we invest these current political leaders with this cosmic biblical significance, it's a weight they were not designed to carry. And it yeah. creates bad, <laughs> bad actions and bad thinking. Yeah, that's really good. I have nothing to add to that. Isaiah 40, mic drop, boom. Um, all flesh is grass, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Wither. Uh, wither and fade all its glory like the flowers of the field um, on both sides of the political aisle, Republicans, Democrats, you know, world leaders across the globe. Same thing. Boom. Number four, Kevin. Yeah. And to be fair, I mean, because we've talked some about the right on this episode. I mean, we I well remember 12 years ago when Barack Obama was president, the left yeah. went into a messianic hallelujah. Uh, absolutely. I, I mean, this was the this was the ushering in of the new millennium. And you know what? Eight years later, he's out of office. Yeah. And and many of his policies were overturned in the last four years. And so we just need to live with a certain humility and reticence about reading people into these cosmic biblical figures. All right. Last and number four. And let's just this one uh, could be its own episode. But I think as white evangelicals, it's not enough to assume Let's teach the gospel and racism will take care of itself. We have to accept that racism has been baked into our history as a movement, and it showed up on Capitol Hill when black Capitol police officers were being shouted the N-word at mm. by the protesters, many of them. We saw a Confederate battle flag, the very symbol of racism and of American on American violence, breach the United States Capitol, something that didn't even happen during the Civil War. Yeah. And so I think we've got to own up, friends, to uh, the this dark thread within, and more than a thread, in our own tradition, and teach explicitly about racial justice. And now I'm speaking as one beggar who has just discovered some bread and telling others, for many years, I did not speak directly to this. I, I really viewed racial justice. I'm just going to just confess and I mean confess it in the true sense of the word, that I viewed it as something sort of extra credit, like some churches are really into that, but mine doesn't have to be. And I'm just going to teach on other things. But you know what? I don't think that's acceptable in our time as believers, and especially coming out of the movement we have, where in our within our mass movement and within our history, racism has been condoned in many, many ways, and even explicitly promoted. There are so many good books about this. Um, that explain all this, but I'll just leave it there and say yeah. we saw it again, and uh, we don't have the option of being quiet. I don't. Yeah. Well, again, immediately, um, and I can do this as well, but I, I see, and I worry that people are going to do this when I say this, but immediately people go, they start thinking, well, what about the extremes of critical race theory, you know, and what about the the Marxism and critical race theory? And I and I, I think, yeah, you got a point, you know, there we need to be discerning about all this stuff. But on the other hand, I just realized about two or three years ago, I know so little about black history. You know, um, we have this Black History Month every year. And I just realized 
you know, you, you know, I've, I'm the missions pastor, so I've traveled around the globe. I, I know a lot about Papua New Guinea culture. I know about, a lot about Nigerian culture. I visited the church in Cambodia and Singapore and Brazil. And But this is my own homeland, and I just know very little about the history of Blacks in this nation and not only the injustices done, but also the glory of Black history, the, the scholarship, the music, the poetry, the, uh, the preaching, um, the the sacred music, you know, all, all of that. I just, I am on a steep learning curve. And so I would just encourage people just, just forget about um, the, all the controversy and just listen to your black brothers and sisters, your brown brothers and sisters, your Latino brothers and sisters, listen to their stories, uh, you know, listen to their music, read their history, read their scholarship, listen to their preachers and just be on a learning curve. And I tell you, it's really opened up a just a box of riches for me, treasures, heartache, heartache at the injustice. Yeah. You know? I love that, man. And in fact, what I've been doing is I've been listening to a lot of podcasts from African-American speakers, writers, thinkers, uh, most of them Christian. And I tell you what it's been done to do is it's, it's, it's really saturating my, my point of view so that now when I think about how will... Th- when I think about preaching something or staying silent on something, I think, how would that come across to the person I just listened to on that podcast? Mm. How would that come across to that person of color? And I'll tell you, they, they inspire me to, to speak up, to do justly, to love mercy and to walk humbly with our God. And that's all I really want for the, the white evangelical church that birthed me, that taught me about Jesus, that taught me to read the Bible and to love it. And, that taught me to uh, engage in mission around the world and to love and serve people. Friends, we can do better than we've been doing as a movement. And this is just a time for us to grow up, um, to repent of some things and to preach in ways that will lead to a greater level of maturity among our people. May it be so. You know, I don't think I need to wrap it up. That was a good wrap up. So (laughs) preachers, thanks for tuning into this podcast. Do not go on iTunes and leave us a one-star review just because of this episode. (laughs) Plus, Matt didn't even know what what was going to happen today. Don't blame it on the poor man. (laughs) Kevin, I just, I love it. I think you've just given very winsomely, you've given us some things to think about and to pray about. And um, man, uh, I just, we can, we can by the spirit of the living God. We, we believe in repentance. You know, we believe in repentance. We believe that we're sinners. And that means we can confess our sins and we can receive grace and we can um, change our behavior by the grace of God. So there's a lot of hope here. I, I believe it. Uh, we have to work toward it. Yeah. Thanks for joining me on Monday Morning Preacher. Hope you can tune in for our next episode. Thanks for being with us, Kevin. This episode is brought to you in part by the Beyond Ordinary Women Ministries podcast. Do you want to grow in your influence? Bow's episodes feature tips for leaders of any kind, from mentoring one woman to leading a ministry. Browse Bow's podcast at beyondordinarywomen.org.